Lord God, we thank you that in the sending of your son Jesus, true love truly has come into the world. Help us to experience that love personally and to share that love with others around us. In your name we pray, amen. Grace to you and peace from the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we are continuing in our sermon series that we're calling Jesus Up Close. And in this series, we're taking a look at different stories from the New Testament, from the life of Jesus, where individual persons have an encounter or a conversation, a contact with Jesus up close. And taking a look at what we might learn from these particular stories. Uh, Today's uh, focus is uh, on the gospel lesson you heard earlier, and I know it's not printed out for you in your bulletin, so you may want to open up the Bible to the story to follow along as we go. In the Pew Bible, it's on page 1649, it's John chapter 3. If you would like to look that up, feel free to do that. The focus today is on an individual by the name of Nicodemus, who has an encounter with Jesus. Nicodemus is described as being a Pharisee, which means he was a member of this particular Jewish sect that was highly regarded and looked up to by the general Jewish population uh, of Jesus' day. The Pharisees were known to be very strict followers of the Jewish laws, not only the laws that God had given to Moses to the people, but the additional laws that the rabbis had established for centuries. They strictly adhered to the rules themselves and expected the population to adhere to those rules also. They tended to be rather works-oriented, works-righteous-oriented in terms of their view of uh, heaven. Nicodemus is also described as being a member of the Sanhedrin. That is the Jewish ruling council in Jerusalem. This was the group that oversaw all the uh, religious activities and and, uh, practices and matters among the Jews in Israel at that time. When I think about Nicodemus, I I think of him as what I might call a curious inquirer concerning Jesus. We're told in John 3 that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at nighttime to have a conversation with him. Now, jokingly, I like to refer to Nicodemus as the original Nick at night because Nicodemus comes to Jesus at nighttime to have a conversation. We, we don't know exactly why he came to him at night. We can speculate a, a couple of possible reasons. Perhaps he was familiar with the fact that wherever Jesus went in the daytime, there were always crowds of people around him. And maybe Nicodemus wanted, wanted to have a private, quiet conversation with Jesus all by themselves. Much more likely is that Nicodemus, being a member of the Sanhedrin, wasn't quite ready to be seen with Jesus for fear that his fellow Sanhedrin members might criticize him for such an association. After all, it was the Sanhedrin that were opposed to Jesus. It was the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious council, that were the ones calling for Jesus to be crucified on that first Good Friday. So maybe he was avoiding the displeasure of his fellow council members by coming to Jesus at night. In any rate, as we look at this particular story and seek to understand something from this story for our own lives, 
I, I thought of a way of kind of simplifying this and to talk about the ABCs of this story. And I hope that that will help you remember uh, some key points about this story, the ABCs of this story. And the A of the story is, first of all, we see in this story Jesus is approachable. He's approachable. It says it this way in the first two verses. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. We'll pause there for a moment. The conversation does go on. Jesus doesn't send Nicodemus away. He doesn't reject Nicodemus as one of those self-righteous Pharisees. He doesn't reject Nicodemus as one of those members of the Jewish council who Jesus knows are going to be calling for his own crucifixion not too far in the future. No, Jesus remained approachable. He was open to having Nicodemus come and talk with him. I think that says something to each and every one of us. That Jesus is approachable to you as well. You know, maybe you are wrestling with some religious questions. Maybe they're questions you're not quite sure if you're even allowed to ask. Jesus is approachable, welcomes your questions. Maybe you're struggling with some doubts about some of the matters of the Christian faith. You're not sure if you can even raise those doubts. Jesus remains approachable. Bring your doubts to me, he says. Doubts are really opportunities for growth. Just as Jesus was open to whatever Nicodemus had to bring to him, so he's open to you and to me, friends. Maybe you're wrestling with some kind of sin that you can't seem to get beyond. Jesus is approachable. Bring it to him. He's ready to receive you. He's approachable in His Word. We can bring our questions and our doubts to His Word and in His Word find answers that address our spiritual needs. He's approachable in prayer and invites us to come to Him in prayer every day, fully free to express our deepest feelings and thoughts and questions and even our doubts. He's big enough to handle it all. And may I also say that as one of your pastors... I too remain approachable for whatever questions you might want to discuss with your pastor. Maybe there's some doubts that you're wondering about. Don't hold those in. Let's talk about them. And we don't have to meet at my office. We can meet for coffee somewhere else if you want to. But let's sit and talk about those issues because those are opportunities for us to continue to grow in our faith walk with Jesus. That's the A of this story. He's approachable. The B of the story is that Jesus is bold. And he boldly engages Nicodemus around the core issue, the issue that he feels Nicodemus really needs to wrestle with. And he's bold to put that to him. We'll talk about what that is in just a minute. But notice how Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He he comes to him affirming Jesus as a teacher. He affirms Jesus as someone who does miracles, and even compliments Jesus as one who certainly must come from God and one with whom God is certainly present. But what does Jesus do? Does he just kind of bask in the glow of all these compliments coming from Nicodemus? No. 
He's more interested in seeing Nicodemus go deeper in his faith walk. And Jesus boldly engages Nicodemus around the real core issue that he wants Nicodemus to be struggling with. So he takes Nicodemus into a much deeper conversation. After Nicodemus' compliments, this is how Jesus replies. He says, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. He puts it right to him. That's the issue. You must be born again. Now, I think we can say that what we see here in Jesus is a duality of approach. He is both welcoming and challenging. He welcomes Nicodemus, but he also challenges him to go deeper. Another way to say it, friends, is this. Jesus accepts you right where you are, but he loves you enough not to leave you there. He accepts you right where you are with whatever you're struggling with, but he loves you enough to not leave you there. He wants to take each of us further in our faith walk with him. He boldly engages Nicodemus around the core issue. And here's the core issue. It is the necessity of this new life that Jesus himself can offer to people. Again, verse 3 said said it so clearly. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, and these are bold words, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. A person needs a second birth to enter the kingdom of God. Now, of course, initially, Nicodemus is absolutely confused by this. That comes out in verse 4. Nicodemus says, How can a man be born when he is old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. He's thinking physical, physical birth. But then Jesus makes it clear that this new life he's talking about is not physical, but spiritual. That is, this is a life that is given by the Holy Spirit as a gift. He expounds on this a little bit further in the next few verses. He says, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, that is, human parents give birth to human children. But the Spirit gives birth to spirits, something spiritual. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. This new life into which one must be born in order to enter the kingdom of God is a spiritual life. And this new spiritual life is necessary necessary for entering the kingdom of God. Something else about this new life Jesus speaks of is that it is eternal. This isn't something temporary. This is something that when you have it and you hold on to it in faith, you have it for all of eternity. And the only way you could lose it is if you reject Jesus as your Savior and turn your back on Him. Otherwise, through faith in Him, you have this life for eternity. He says it this way in verses 14 through 17. 
He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not go to hell, but shall have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is a a life that lasts forever. And this new eternal life, friends, begins the very moment that the Holy Spirit plants this saving faith in the heart of a person. The very moment the Holy Spirit breathes this new life into a person. And He does that on account of what Jesus Christ did at the cross. You see, this new life, this new birth, being born again, comes through faith in Jesus Christ as one's Savior. It comes in recognizing that Jesus, when He died on the cross, took on Himself all the weight of all of our sin and shame and guilt. And He was damned by the Heavenly Father in your place and mine. He willingly took the punishment we deserve so that we might be forgiven and have eternal life. That is the wondrous good news revealed to us in this book we call the Bible. And he tells us that whoever believes in Him as their Savior has eternal life right now. Eternal life isn't something that we wait for, that we simply look forward to one day in heaven. Eternal life is something we have right now from the moment we have this life that the Spirit gives us. This life will never end. Oh yes, this body's going to die one day. And at the moment of death, the body and the living part of us, the soul, separate. The body goes in the ground. But that soul that is alive because of Jesus lives on forever in the presence of Christ in heaven. Awaiting the last day when Jesus returns and the dead bodies are raised back to life, rejoined with the souls and we enter heaven with a glorified physical body for all eternity. Jesus uses this rather curious phrase when he's talking to Nicodemus. He says you must be born again. Born again. It's literally translated from the Greek also born from above. Born from above. In other words, this is a heavenly kind of new life. This is something that comes from God. God the Holy Spirit who breathes this new life into us. And how we need this new life, friends. How we need it. Because the reality is, all people are born into this world spiritually dead. I know that's not a popular way of thinking in the world today. We do not come into this world spiritually alive. We do not come into this world spiritually enlightened. We don't come into this world as Christians. We come as those who are separated from God because of sin that we've inherited from our parents and their parents and their parents all the way back to Adam and Eve. We're born spiritually dead and we cannot make ourselves alive by our own power. But God the Holy Spirit can. That's what He offers That's what Jesus is offering Nicodemus. The new life that comes through being born spiritually by the Holy Spirit. 
I think there is some confusion about this phrase, born again. It's confusion that is sometimes perpetrated by some religious groups. There are some Christian churches that use the phrase born again in what I conclude is a non-biblical way. They use the term born again to refer to a second experience of the Holy Spirit beyond coming to faith. And that if you don't have that second experience of the Holy Spirit, you're not a true Christian. You're not born again. And very often a phrase is used that I think is confusing where people talk about being a born again Christian. To me that's redundant. If you're born again through faith in Christ, you are a Christian. And if you're a Christian, you are born again. You have the new life in Christ Jesus. Now here's the core issue. Knowing Jesus and having this new life that He alone offers. That's what it means to be born again. To have faith in Jesus as one's Savior. And for some people, this being born again happens as adults. They didn't know Jesus and somebody shared the message of the cross with them and, or maybe they read it for themselves and, and the Holy Spirit took that message and changed their hearts and planted faith in them and brought them to this new life and they were born again in that moment, the moment they believed. For others of us, we were born again when we were little babies, when we were baptized. I was born again at 10 days old when my father who happened to be my pastor baptized me and the Holy Spirit reached down into the waters of that baptism connected to the promise of God and he killed me and he raised me new a brand new creation in Christ with the new life in me made me his child from that moment on I was born again a new life maybe that's your story too A, Jesus is approachable. B, he's bold to engage us in what really matters. And thirdly, as Jesus talks to Nicodemus, the C is he constructs a bridge to the good news. He constructs a bridge from what Nicodemus understands to what he wants Nicodemus to understand. You see, Jesus wants Nicodemus to understand and experience the good news of God's salvation personally. He wants him to experience grace personally in his own life. He wants to take Nicodemus from where he is to the place of experiencing God's grace as a result of the cross. And so he constructs a bridge in his conversation with Nicodemus. He knows that Nicodemus, being a faithful Jewish leader and member of the Sanhedrin and a Pharisee would have some understanding of the Hebrew Scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament. So that's where Jesus begins with Nicodemus, building a bridge. He starts with a familiar story from the Hebrew Scriptures, the story about Moses. And here's the story that he uses to build a bridge. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. You see what Jesus is doing here? He starts with where Nicodemus is and what he understands. He knows Nicodemus would know the story of Moses when Moses was leading the people in the wilderness and 
and people were bitten by poisonous snakes and Moses was instructed by God to lift up this bronze serpent so that everyone who looked to the bronze serpent and trusted God's promise would be healed. And they were. Jesus builds a bridge from that story to himself. And he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man would be lifted up on a cross that all who believe in him may have eternal life. He constructs a bridge so that Nicodemus can be brought to the point of experiencing the gospel himself. You know, Paul, St. Paul was a master at constructing bridges with people. And he knew his audience and he would custom design these bridges for his various audiences. If you want a homework assignment for this week, read the 17th chapter of the book of Acts. In that one chapter, we see Paul addressing two different groups and he builds two different kind of bridges. The first group that he addresses is a group of Jewish people at the synagogue in the town of Thessalonica. He goes into the synagogue and he understands that the people there will have some familiarity with Old Testament things. And so he starts talking with them about what the scriptures say about Messiah. And he proves from the Hebrew scriptures what Messiah was going to be like. And then he points to himself as that Messiah. He builds a bridge to himself. Later in the same chapter, now Paul is in the city of Athens, Greece. And he's talking to a bunch of Greek philosophers up on the city's hill known as Mars Hill. And these philosophers love to debate the latest philosophies and and talk about the various Greek gods that are are, uh, perpetrated. And as Paul is up on Mars Hill with these people, he sees all these statues dedicated to various Greek gods. And then he sees a monument that says, To an unknown God. To an unknown God. And he says, that's where I'm going to build my bridge from. And he says to the philosophers, I see you are very religious people. Very religious. I also see that you have this monument dedicated to an unknown God. And he says, let me tell you about that God you don't know. And he tells them about the true God. The God who created the universe that they can all see. And the God who sent his son to be the savior of the world, who rose from the dead. And that got their attention built a bridge so people could understand. You know, when we think about Nicodemus, we don't know a whole lot more about him. We only hear about him two more times in the the New Testament. But the second time, I think, is maybe the most significant. Because in John chapter 19, verse 40, we see Nicodemus alongside another member of the Sanhedrin who had become a follower of Jesus a man named Joseph from the town of Arimathea, we see these two men together wrapping the body of Jesus and placing his body in the tomb. Now I have to think, Nicodemus must have come to faith just as Joseph had in order to publicly be involved in the burial of the one who was so controversial. It didn't matter anymore. He had placed his faith in Jesus. As we look at this story, I think the ABCs of this story, friends, are applicable to you and to me as we seek to live out our Christian life and as we seek to give a witness of our faith to other people. You know, here at Shepherd of the Desert, you know our mission statement, leading people to follow Jesus. How do we do that? How do we lead people to follow Jesus? Well, maybe the ABCs can be helpful. A, B, 
be approachable. Be approachable to people who have questions. You know, there are people around you at your work, in your neighborhood, in your various uh, groups that you associate with who have religious questions. And if they knew you were a religious person and that you were open to discussing them, they just might raise their question to you. Now, they might be questions with a lot of doubts. It's okay. Be approachable. It's okay to say, you know what, I don't know the answer to that question, but I'll do my best to find out an answer and we'll talk again. But we need to be approachable so people can address their questions and have an opportunity to take a step forward. The B in our story is to be bold and to boldly engage people around the core issue, the thing that matters most, and that is, who is Jesus? The question that I like to keep on the tip of my tongue all the time is this. What do you think of Jesus? Who is he to you? As you ask people that question and as they respond, it'll tell you something about where they're at in their spiritual life. And that'll help you then be able to do the third part to build a bridge, to construct a bridge to the good news. To take, to take the person from where he or she is, walk them across a bridge to understand the good news of Jesus at the cross. I'm going to close with a true story. I know that I've told this a a few times before. Some of you have heard this. Maybe some haven't. But it's a true story where I had an opportunity to build a bridge for someone, construct a bridge to the gospel for a young lady. I was uh, with a group in downtown St. Louis, and we were doing street witnessing. We were handing out uh, gospel brochures to people and, and inviting them to church and so on. And there was a whole group of teenagers that were coming out of a convention. We were giving them brochures. And then they kind of made their way away. And then off to my left, I hear an adult voice say, I'd like one of those. And I turn, I look over, and I see it's a female St. Louis police officer in full regalia with her police bicycle. She was patrolling the the city streets. She had a gun in a holster. (laughs) I made sure I behaved myself. The whole thing. And I wasn't quite sure if she was just kidding with me or serious, but she was serious. She rolled her bike right over by me and she had some questions to talk about. And we engaged in a conversation on spiritual matters. And in the course of the conversation, to make a long story short, she asked me this question. She said,